Thanks for joining the Capital Church podcast channel. For more resources and to learn more about Capital Church, please visit our website at capitalchurch.co or send us an email at info at capitalchurch.co. Man, I'm so glad you made it here. December 1st. How many love the month of December? Hey, did you guys have a good Thanksgiving? Okay, a few of you. Awesome. Uh, Hey, turn to your neighbor. You know the drill. Tell them how much you love them. Give them a hug. High five. Turn to your other neighbor and say, man, those stinking cowboys, those stinking cowboys. Come on, you have to say it. Some of you are not saying it. I'm not going to go on until you turn to your neighbor and you say those stinking cowboys. Um, Hey, I got a few minutes that I want to talk about Thanksgiving. And uh, if, if you like notes, you can, you can write this down. I'm, I'm going to give you, this is kind of like my, my thesis. Uh, I'm going to do my best today to talk in, in brevity about what I think Thanksgiving is, number one. Uh, everyone say Thanksgiving. So I'm going to do my best to define that just a little bit. I mean, it take a long time to discuss this, but I'm just going to give you my best to kind of narrow down what Thanksgiving is. And then two, I want to talk about, how many of you are thankful here today? Like your team won, right? Broncos won, right? Ohio State won. Um, Yeah, things are going good. Many of us are thankful. I know we're thankful here today. But come on, have you ever been to church when you haven't, when we've been praising and we've been thanking God and yet deep down inside you don't feel like it? So I'm going to, Hopefully this is not too much of a leap. I'm going to do my best to define what Thanksgiving is. And then I'm just going to talk to you about, okay, how do we pray? Uh, And we've been in the uh, the last two months, three months, we've been talking about prayer. But how do we pray when we don't feel thankful? How do we pray when we know we're supposed to be thankful and yet we don't feel thankful? Uh, just, Just to kind of give you just like my story really quick. This morning, I actually wanted to preach out of the book of Ecclesiastes. I wanted to go to Hevel and to find Hevel. Hevel, the Hebrew word is just, it's smoke and mirrors and vanity and senselessness. And I wanted to talk about nihilism, the Cowboys losing, six and six. It's been 25 years since we've been in the Super Bowl. I got to be really honest with you. On Thanksgiving Day, I'm your pastor, okay? Can I be honest with you? As your pastor, I think I'm a pretty good guy. But on Thanksgiving, I failed at 4, 5 o'clock when the Cowboys lost. I was pretty, I was pretty distraught. And so I, I started thinking about it, and I, I began to realize, and this is a quote that I, I've been thinking about uh, this entire week, uh, related to Thanksgiving and related to what I think many of us have caught as Americans. How many Americans do we have here? Or Western people, whatever, all right? Uh, we've all caught um, this, this viral phenomenon. It's called chronic dissatisfaction, right? So we're dissatisfied. We look at imperfect things. We don't have the yacht, right? We don't have that vacation. We don't have this, this, and this. And in a culture of chronic dissatisfaction or a culture that's defined by chronic dissatisfaction, it's hard to be thankful, especially for me when the Cowboys lose. It, you know, it's hard. Um, so I thought about this, this quote, and I think this is, kind of sums up what I, I want to talk about here today. And this comes from G.K. Chesterton. He said, when it comes to life, everyone say life. You guys enjoy your life? 
Okay, when it comes to life, the critical thing, everyone say the critical thing. The critical thing is whether you take things for granted or you take them with gratitude. The critical thing here today is whether you take things for granted or you take things with gratitude. Let me just say this really quick. Thanksgiving is not just a public holiday, right? Where you put on your expandable pants, right? It's a tough crowd. <laughs> right, you all the turkey, and I love, how many love turkey? My mom makes the best cranberry salad. You eat the cranberry salad, maybe you say nice things about your family, uh, and you know, you have your Thanksgiving, and you kind of share what you're grateful for uh, one day out of the year. In fact, when it comes to scripture, Thanksgiving, come on, it's not just one day out of the year wherein we practice Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving, or we could even say praise. Thanksgiving praise is the ultimate goal of our lives. I want to take you to quick, quickly to Psalm 100, 1 through 5. Many of us are familiar with this psalm. And it begins in verse 1. It, it kind of gives you this um, kind of look into this cosmic praise session, praise party. How many of you like parties? Okay. Verse 1 says, make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Go into verse 2. Serve the Lord with gladness, right? You kind of have this cosmic, like, praise celebration uh, that all of creation is, is caught up in. And then the liturgist continues and says this, come into his presence with singing. And then we go to verse 3. Everyone say no. No, that's a key word. Know that the Lord, he is God. I think if you were to diagnose, I don't even say diagnose, if you want to get to the roots of thanksgiving, I think that the roots of thanksgiving is a basic acknowledgement that you're not God, God is God. You're not in charge, right? Turn to your neighbor and give him just a big sigh of relief. Like, just breathe. Come on, somebody. Somebody, that's exactly what you needed to hear today. You're not in charge, God is. And I'm going to keep people talking about the Cowboys, right? Jerry Jones, you're not in charge. God is. And apparently God hates the Cowboys, but hey. There's something in verse 3 that I think ties this Thanksgiving, famous Thanksgiving psalm together. When you, when you can acknowledge that you're not in charge, it releases you from dissatisfaction. It releases you from these toxic emotions that obfuscate your perspective on uh, who you are vis-a-vis in relationship with God. So know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who has made us, and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Verse 4 then continues, enter into his gates with thanksgiving, and into his courts with what? And into his courts with praise. Give thanks to him, bless his name. Verse 5. Why? Uh, how many people in here, you're like the, when someone tells you to do something, you're like the why person. Why? Right? That's me. I'm like, why? Right? So verse 5 is linked up with verse 3. Right? We, we know, we acknowledge that God is in charge of all things. But then verse 5 kind of narrows the scope and tells us what kind of God we serve. Verse 5 says, for the Lord is good. I love the Hebrew word because it's expansive. 
Uh, it talks about goodness in its widest sense. Goodness like you can't even imagine. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever. Or his faithful covenant love, it keeps going and going and going and going and going in spite of circumstances. Right? You might be in difficult circumstances right now, but the steadfast love of the Lord endures forever. And his faithfulness to all generations. So why should we be thankful? Well, the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever in his faithfulness to all generations. So feel the tension. Some of you are in a very difficult moment, situation right now. You have emotions that are antithetical to gratitude or gratefulness, right? You just think that life sucks right now. Right now you're frustrated maybe with your family or your spouse or your work life or just your life in general. In the next few moments, I want to talk to you about how you can pray your way into Thanksgiving, especially when you don't feel right. Psalm 147, again, is about praise. It says, praise the Lord, for it is good to sing praises to our God, for it is pleasant and a song of praise is fitting. The Lord builds up Jerusalem. He gathers the outcasts of Israel. How many of you would say that's good news? Okay. The Lord builds up Jerusalem. He gathers the outcasts of Israel. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. I love verse 4. He determines the number of the stars. How many of you know by definition what a star is? Scott, don't speak. Star is, and this is just my layman's understanding, is a plasma held together by gravity. We, are, we live in the Milky Way galaxy, right? And what scientists will tell you, there's at least 400 billion stars. We know that there are probably billions and billions of galaxies out there held together, astronomical stuff, right, held together, quantum whatever, held together by gravity itself. So in every galaxy, billions and billions of galaxies, there are billions and billions and billions and billions of stars, and it is God who determines the number, and he gives to all of them their names. So the more you think about that, you're like, the more awe-inspired you become, Verse 5, the litter just continues. Great is our Lord and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. Verse 6, the Lord lifts up the humble. Uh, when it comes to thanksgiving, you have to have humility. Thankless people are very arrogant people. I'll move on. He casts the wicked down, verse 7. Sing to the Lord. You can go to verse 7. Sing to the Lord with thanksgiving. Make melody to our God on the lyre. Verse 8, he covers the heavens with the clouds. Anyone know what a lyre is? I don't either. He prepares rain for the earth. He makes grass grow on the hills. He continues. He gives to the beasts their food and to the young ravens that cry. His delight is not in the strength of the horse, nor his pleasure in the legs of a man. But the Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him, in those who hope in his steadfast love. So let me just say this really quick. Thanksgiving, it's okay not to feel grateful or thankful, okay? And I'm going to get to that here pretty quick. But Thanksgiving and praise, what we find in the Bible, is the ultimate goal of our life. In fact, you'll find Paul saying in Ephesians chapter 5 and some parts of Colossians that Thanksgiving is the Christian's dialect. So we speak in Thanksgiving, 
Can I get an amen? We speak in thanksgiving. So how does that line up, Chris? Because two weeks ago, how many of you were here two weeks ago? A few of you. We talked about how the backbone of the Psalms is what? It's complaint. Right? Uh, the, the most common prayer that we find in the book of Psalms is what? How long, O Lord? It's the most common prayer that we find in the book of Psalms. And we talked about how to process that. So how can we juxtapose, right, complaint that we find in the Psalms and also praise that we find in the Psalms? We'll talk about that uh, here really quick. The point is, and the most critical thing I want to remind you, is that we can make a decision today either to take our life for granted or to take our life with gratitude. So what is to take something for granted, right? What does that mean, Chris? Well, it means to underestimate the value of something or someone. It means to uh, not treat uh, with proper respect. It's not to properly recognize the worth of something or someone. For example, last year my son, Quincy, he, uh, he, I think he, he woke up one day and uh, he looked at me, he was across, I think he was across the table, and he goes, uh, hey, dude, can you make me something to eat? So I said, hey, little boy, I'm going to take your life right now. No, I didn't. <laughs> Stop it. Uh, we had a little talk, and he's, he's, he's never said that term, used that term again. We had a long talk, if you know what I mean. But what, 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 what I explained to him is that, hey, man, I'm not, I'm not some random guy, right, that you see every day, right? I'm not your, I'm not your homeboy, little boy. I said that quite often. I, I, I'm not like some dude, right? I'm, I'm your dad. And I bring life to you every single day. In the words of my father, I don't know if this is okay to say in 2019, but I can bring life to you and I can take your life away from me. That's what my dad used to say. So if you have, don't email me, right? Email Pastor Ken. And let's edit that part out of the podcast. All right. So to take something for granted is the antithesis of thanksgiving. What does that mean? Well, again, to take something for granted is to underestimate the value. And a way to maybe sharpen up what that means uh, is thanksgiving, the heart of thanksgiving is reverence for life itself. It's reverence. Note Psalm 147, God takes pleasure in those who fear him. I, I think, man, we got to bring reverence back into the church. I think so many, so many times we, well, I'll say it this way, we've adopted a miracle-less perception about life, and that, I think, is at the heart of why so many people are filled with ingratitude. Wendell Berry, a famous poet, philosopher, farmer, he said this, to treat life as less than a miracle is to give up on it. I, I like to sharpen that up a little bit more. To be dissatisfied chronically with life is to underappreciate the miraculous dimensions of God's grace for you. To be dissatisfied, to be overwhelmed. I get it, we all, we all are. 
right? We're all acolytes of dissatisfaction. But to give ourselves to dissatisfaction, to give ourselves to um, ways that um, go against Thanksgiving is to uh, collude with a, a sense of uh, profaneness. It's to treat life as less than a miracle. Uh, this last week, uh, my wife and I, we, uh, we watched It's a Wonderful Life, which is my favorite Christmas movie. I know most people don't like it. It's weird. You're weird if you don't like it. Um, but uh, it's, it's a story, if you don't know, it's a story about George Bailey, right? So George Bailey has a great life, and that he doesn't have a great life, and things just go, like, south on him. And kind of at the end of the movie, he contemplates taking his life because nothing's going his way. He doesn't measure up. He wanted to get out of the town that uh, he was in. And so the end of the story is kind of a thought experiment. And uh, an angel, remember the name, is it Clarence? Clarence. Everyone say Clarence. Little Clarence comes as an angel, right? He wants to get his wings. Theologically, it's horrible. It's a horrible movie, theologically. But, uh, but Clarence um, takes, takes uh, George Bailey on a theological journey, basically, and shows him life without him. And everything turns into like a disaster, right? All his relationships um, are turned upside down. Lives are devastated all because he wasn't born. He goes through this kind of theological journey, and at the end of it, he doesn't want to take his life, and he understands how precious life is. Um, when we go through the book of Psalms, and as you begin to read through it, one, one thing I recommend you do, as you read through Psalms and you see how good God is, you could do something like It's a Wonderful Life. I, I, you can create a hypothetical situation where God has totally removed his presence from your life. What would happen? I know that, um, if, if you don't know our story, my wife and I, we tried for nine years to have um, a baby. Now we're about to have four babies, right, in one year. And I'm like, God, that's good, right? Um, but uh, I know without a shadow of a doubt, if it wasn't for God's grace, if God totally removed his presence from our life, we would have no babies. Come on. You are here today, and you have your senses about you. You have consciousness, right? You can move your fingers. Some of us are maybe a little bit more healthy than others, right? Some of you work out, like me. Some of you don't, right? We, we all come from different walks of life, but hey, you got, you got to hear me. Without God's steadfast love, Life as we know it breaks apart. You are here today, right? Your body is held together, not just by gravity and not just by your cells and your DNA, but your body and your life and your circumstances, yes, are held together by the steadfast love of God. At the heart, let me make this very clear this morning, at the heart of thanksgiving is a reverence is a respect that this world, God's grace, my life is miraculous. And when you get to the ultimate center of that, 
that is when you're free to enter into a life filled with thanksgiving. So really quick as we close, so if that's how you define thanksgiving, it's, it's a basic reverence. It's at the very heart of it, it's a celebration of the radical steadfast love of God. How do I work through my feeling of thanklessness? Right? How do I pray in other words? How do I pray when I don't feel like praying? How do I pray or praise when I don't feel like pray or praising, right? How do I do that? We talked a little bit about this last two weeks ago. But I just want to give you a basic template of how we can enter into a more thankful life. Number one, you have to be honest. This is going to sound counterintuitive. But you have to be honest about what you're feeling. I think, help me out here, church, I think we need more honesty in our lives. In fact, the Psalms, the reason why there's so much complaint is because the Psalms is teaching us to take our emotions, think about all the kaleidoscopic emotions that we experience from anger to rage to betrayal to bitterness to offense, all of that. The Psalms teach us to bring and to direct all of our emotions to God. We are not summoned to sanitize our anger, right? We're not, we're not summoned or we're not called by God to um, fix, as we talked about two weeks ago, fix our emotions in order to come into the presence of God, right? God allows, gives space for us to bring our anger in its nakedness to God. Why, Chris? Because it is only the Holy Spirit who can transform you. I think it's weird. Many times we try to change ourselves so we can get into the presence of God who can change us. Doesn't that sound a little bit off? God has designed prayer, right, to be directed towards him. And prayer is designed to be fully honest, fully vulnerable, fully naked before God because it's the Holy Spirit who wants to change us. Galatians chapter 5, in fact, says the fruit of the Spirit not the fruit of Christ, right? The fruit of Christ is perfectionism. My wife knows very well. The fruit of Christ is diatribes on cats. Why? I don't know. The fruit of Christ, right, is anger and rage directed towards the Dallas Cowboys, right? That's my fruit. My wife knows my weaknesses. But it's not our fruit. It's the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, right? And it's when we bring our emotions when we bring our pain and our suffering, trauma, depression, all of that to God when we are then healed. You hearing me? A few of you? John 8, 31 through 32 makes it very clear. If you abide in my words, you will what? Know my truth. And the truth will what? Truth sets you free. Right? And as you bring your emotions to God, his truth, right, comes to you. Because here's the thing. God does not deal in unreality. God does not deal in, like, not confessing things, not being honest. God only works in truth. And he's always inviting us into truth. He's always inviting us into confession. He's always inviting us to bring to light our struggles because he's a good God. 
Come on, some of you are way too white. Can I say that? I'd like more emotion. Come on, somebody. Or talk back. Thank you. So many times, I totally lost my train of thought, but so many times, man, so many times we think we have to fix ourselves. It's important that we don't sanitize our emotions and let the Holy Spirit, right, heal us. And it's when we do that, that we start our way towards Thanksgiving. Number two, really quick, so we got to be honest with our prayers. Number two, I think this is so important. Please hear me. I'm not trying to be really philosophical on you today. But I think we can't rush through life. We can't hurry through life. In fact, um, I'm kind of riffing off of uh, Eugene Peterson, but he says, hurry does violence to time. I like to add to that, I think hurry does violence to your spiritual life. I say this all the time. Corey Tenboon says, said that if the devil can't make you bad, he'll make you busy. I think our, our, our biggest problem is that, and I think this is connected to um, being dissatisfied, is that we are just chronically distracted by things. And so our life before God is basically a cipher. There's not a whole lot there, right? It's difficult to be thankful when you don't have a basic acknowledgement of the radical goodness of God in your life. Right? So I think when it comes to our emotions, when it comes to, man, I don't feel thankful uh, this morning, it's, I, I think it's important that we, okay, maybe talk to ourselves and say, maybe I need to slow down. Maybe there's some things that I can remove. Maybe we'll start with one thing i.e. the Dallas Cowboys, don't watch them anymore, right? Remove that. Thank you for being so loving this morning to me, right? Because I have at least eight more references to the Cowboys. Right, we got to create space. We have to slow down so we can hear what the Holy Spirit is saying. And when you slow down, what you're going to begin to find is that thankfulness per se is not your issue. What your issue is, is that you have other emotions that are blocking thankfulness. As you slow down, the Holy Spirit will bring to light, okay, there are certain things in your life that are actually competing with thankfulness and gratitude. Usually there are some people, maybe even here today, you're like, man, I just have never really been thankful. Well, I, I think maybe the issue is, maybe the deeper issue is there have been, and you're not even aware of it, but there are certain emotions that are blocking your sense of gratitude in life. It is when we hurry, or not hurry, excuse me, when we slow down, when we can hear God speak to us. Are you hearing me? Number three, as we close, uh, we have to, let me say this again, number one, we got to be honest. Number two, we can't rush through uh, these emotions. Number three, we have to learn to be persistent. We have to learn to be persistent. We have to learn to trust in the steadfast love of God, even when circumstances are saying otherwise. we got to be persistent. Uh, let me say this. This is Eugene Peterson. He said, all prayer pursued far enough becomes praise. Any prayer, hear me, no matter how desperate its origin, no matter how angry and fearful the experience it traverses, always ends up in 
praise. And we find this like scheme in the book of Psalms. Psalms, if you don't know, is structured or edited around five books. At the end of every five book, you have like complaint, complaint, complaint. You have some enthronement psalms. You have psalms about the king. And the end of every book, you have a praise refrain. I want to give you an example. 41, Psalm 41, 13 says, Blessed be the Lord God, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Amen and amen. We come to 72, verse 19. At the end of some lament and some complaint in Psalm 72, 19, it says, Blessed be his glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. Psalm 89, the end of the third book, verse 52, says, Blessed be the Lord forever. Amen and amen. Do you sense that you see the ark? Are we going somewhere, people? Right? Is there a trajectory? It feels like when you read through the book of Psalms that you're on a theological journey and you're going through difficult circumstances. But as we see the editorialized five book structure, we begin to realize the end of our life is always praise and celebration and goodness. Psalm 106, we got to move really quick. Verse 48 says, blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel from everlasting to everlasting, and let all the people say what? Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Then we come to Psalm 50. This is after a series of five psalms, hallelujah psalms, very doxological. And then we have the very last verse of the Psalter. It says, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Come on, somebody. So what is this saying, Chris, as we close? Well, uh, it's the end, not the beginning of your life, not the middle, not three-fourths, right? Many people, we assume because we got a late start that somehow that determines our future. Many of us are, are in the middle of a very difficult situation and we're, we're, we're basically extrapolating our circumstances onto what God can or can't do based on our present circumstances. Many of us think that it's the beginning or the middle of our life that determines joy and fulfillment. But what Psalms teaches us, it's the end, right? It's the end of our life. It's the promises of God, in other words, not the beginning or the, the middle, that is ultimately final over our lives. Amen. Uh, I, I went to a movie as we close here uh, two or three years ago. Shane and I went to a movie. I won't name it. I don't go to movies. You know, I pray all the time. So I, we went to this movie. It was downtown. It was really late. It was Sunday night. And I just wanted a cathartic moment. I just wanted to get, you know, I didn't want to think about anything. So we're at this movie. But halfway through, uh, my wife texts me. She goes, Chris, I think someone's breaking in, in, into our house. So I, I turned to Shane, and I told Shane the situation. And, man, I'd been working out a lot with Marshall, so I wanted someone to break into my house. I wanted to own somebody, you know? Have you ever seen Shane's crazy eyes, Marshall? Have you seen Shane's crazy eyes? Man, he was, he was ready to hurt somebody. So we got in our car, and we're, you know, about midnight we're, or 1130, we're racing back to the house. Unfortunately, there was no one there to um, show off my abilities. Um, it was funny, that movie, 
Like, what, where are we going, Chris? That movie wasn't making sense to me. Like, I kind of understood. It wasn't really grabbing me. Again, we were about halfway um, through. We left. Well, didn't see the end of it. It's funny. Two weeks later, a bunch of, bunch of my friends wanted to go to the movie, so I went back. I obliged them and went through the whole movie. It wasn't until the very end of the movie that I began to make sense of what was happening. In fact, that movie now was like my top five movie, all because I, I was able to see the end of it. It gives you perspective on how I think many of us are in the middle of our life, and if we're not careful, we give up, right? Like we're tired and we're exhausted, right? And things aren't making sense, and you're in a very difficult situation. If you're not careful, if you lose a sense of the end, that all prayer and all of life turns into praise and celebration, right? You'll have a tendency to give up. I think this is where a lot of people are at right now, right? Things aren't going right. And I just want to encourage you here today. If you're in a difficult situation or moment, please persist. Please don't give up. Don't, don't leave. It's okay. It's okay to feel upside down in life. It's okay when you're like, man, I just feel like God's steadfast love is for everybody else but me, right? That's okay. You direct that prayer to God. But don't you give up. The very heart of trust is to persist. And when you persist, every form of persistence in life as followers of Jesus turns into praise. As we close, the Psalms have explored the totality of the human condition, our life before God. If you read through the Psalms, we go through the depths of Sheol. We go through the valley of the shadow of death, right? We go through the watery depths and the, the chaos we find in Psalm 29. You go to Psalm 137, you have Babylonian captivity and rage, right? Uh, in Psalm 23, you also have non-anxious waters. Psalm 36, you have the beautiful liturgical um, promise of being uh, sated by the abundance of the house of God. So Psalms takes you through every human experience, but it doesn't end in suffering. It doesn't end in grief or a broken heart. Psalms takes you through the valley of the shadow of death, but it does not leave you in the valley of the shadow of death. It always, Psalms, is always, I love this in the words of Eugene Peterson, is always reaching into the future. And this is crucial when it comes to trusting in God, when everything is not going right, and when you specially do not feel grateful at all. You have to get a perspective of the future. And what's the perspective of the future? The perspective of the future is that the future is not a product ultimately of your decisions. Now hear me, I believe your decisions are really important. Can I get an amen, church? But your future is not the product of, man, an evolutionary schema that's outside of ourselves or economic forces that are unrelated to us on a macro level, whatever, that affect our lives. No, 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 no. Your future, everyone say your future. Your future is ultimately the product of God's promise over you. 
This is why Isaiah 25 can tell you death has no sting anymore. This is why Isaiah 65 says there will be a new heaven and a new earth, right? New creation. This is why we have Revelation 21 and 22 and the promise that every eye, right? Every tear will be wiped from every eye. This is why we have the promise in the New Testament of God putting this world to rights. In other words, you have a promise. The reason why you don't have to give up today, the reason why you can push through, even though it doesn't feel like you want to, right, is because God will take your life, and if you just persist and you don't give up, God will bring you into his promise. God will bring you into his grace. God will bring you into turning everything right side up in your life. So don't give up, number one, right? Be honest with how you're feeling. Direct your anger, your rage to God. And then number three, uh, don't hurry your way through life. Sit down this week. Read through Psalm 146 through 150. Read through the Thanksgiving Psalms and let the Holy Spirit speak to you. Amen. Amen. I want you to bow your heads, close your eyes. Father, I thank you.